So I want to talk about uh, exploring life's song and, and the Psalms. This is the Psalms, uh, the biggest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, 150 Psalms. You know, a lot of times, uh, you, if you open the Bible up in its midpoint, you'll see the Psalms. The Psalms are such an important part of the church, not only traditionally, but just in part of the entire experience. They have so much to offer us. As far as the book itself is concerned, um, not only is it the biggest book of the Bible, but 73 of the Psalms, let's put a little quick little facts up there for us. 73 of the Psalms are attributed to David, so that's about half of them. Another 12 to a man named Asaph, who was a song master, a worship leader that was appointed by David. You can see that 11 of them are attributed to the Levitical family of Korah, working under and with David. And then two to Solomon, one to the chief musician and worship leader. I love this name. Isn't this a cool name? What a Father's Day name. He-Man. He-Man. See that? <laughs> He-Man the Ezraite. Um, how cool is that name? All right. And then, and then a chief musician, worship leader, Ethan, Ethan the Ezraite, and another to Moses. The remaining 49, they're unattributed, but most of them are connected to David in some way. David's a big part of the Psalms. Um, the Psalms, what are they? They are prayers, they are poetry, and they are songs. So prayers, poems, and songs. They clearly have been in, and will continue to be the Bible's songbook, the Bible's prayer book. Often it's the place that people turn when we're working through life's challenges. And Jesus knew all the Psalms. He referred to them frequently throughout his, the Gospels. You'll see him making references to them, and he sung them often. So they are very, and they've been a very important part, not only of the ancient church of Israel, if you will, but all the way through the early church and into this day, people all over the world sing psalms, we do. Those, and they're always moving in bits and pieces into the songs that we sing even now. And so I want to talk about that a little bit and lay a foundation for us. But before I even get there, I want to shift the gear a little bit. And I want to go back in time to an earlier part of the year. Not everybody necessarily was here. But I want to talk about what I shared at the outset of the year and kind of connect it a little bit. Because, again, I'm not assuming everyone knows, and I'm not going to go into every detail of this. But in 2015, I had to go, that's amazingly, two years ago, I had to go on a medical sabbatical. And I shared in the Growing Through Adversity series how we can work through difficult places in our lives. And then I shared out of my own kind of time in the dark place, if you will and how hard it was at a physical level. I had vocal surgery, but it was also my body at a mental and emotional level. I wasn't doing well. Talked a lot about that. It was complicated, it was real. I had never faced anything like that for really 30 years of ministry. And I don't wanna sound melodramatic because that's not what I'm trying to do, but I was forced to fight through a lot of, of fear and doubt. Not so much about God, but just about maybe even myself. And um, I had to learn what I called kind of new spiritual survival skills. And I want to, I want to, and again, I don't want to rehash, but like most traumatic seasons in our lives, now maybe some of us um, are in one now. I don't know. It's possible. That, that no one would necessarily even know it, but you're going through a very difficult place. Or for you right now, there's a lot of, of fear or real anxiety or stress connected to some issue that's going on, or maybe multiple issues. Maybe you've just come out of a traumatic season. Maybe you're still feeling the effects of something, that's ha a season that, that hit us years before, and we're still having to deal with the repercussions of that. And sometimes we do okay, and sometimes we don't do so well. And what I'm saying is these are real things. All of us, listen, I, I've, I've, the more I interact with people, I've been doing it now for a number of years, the more I've come to realize that 
that it is the rare bird indeed who knows no pain and no struggle. In fact, I don't think it's true of any of us. You know, there's none of us, I think, that has no temptation to fight through, no adversity that we have to face. We all, we all have something or things that are happening. And we all have blind spots. We all have weak zones. We all have um, areas of unique vulnerability where, where we are prone um, maybe sometimes to either sinful or addictive behavior that is destructive. And we know it. We don't even like it, but we turn to it. And so I think a lot of this is, you know, there's going to be times where we're going to need specific grace at a certain time in our life for God to be able to help us grow through that place. Not just survive, but grow through it. But I do want to talk about some survival principles. And again, part of what I'm doing just right now is just laying out some things that I call my little toolkit that I used. It's not exhaustive, but it might help. It might help actually some of us who may either be in a place right now, know someone who's in a difficult place, or... Um, when we get into a place where it's difficult to really trust God or to get out of the funk or the, that sort of cloud that seems to be hovering over us, how do you do that? How do you fight through it a little bit? I want to talk about it. I have a reason for bringing it up. So I want to throw a couple of things out there. This is what I did, okay? When I was in that place, and again, I talk about it a lot. One of the things they did is I really started immersing myself in his word. I was on that, again, I had plenty of time. I, had a, I was on a medical sabbatical. So I had to figure out, what do I do, Lord? Help me. Help me to figure out how to move through this thing without letting it define me. So I spent a lot of time in this word. Another thing I did was I, I, I journaled. And that was the first time I really actually ever journaled in my life. I wasn't a big journaler. I would every now and then note things at certain times in my life. But like many of us, I was not necessarily um, a consistent journaler. That is right. I didn't write things down and put daily entries in too much, maybe to mark things. But what I ended up doing during that period, and one of the key ways I think the Lord can help us when we find ourselves in these sort of dark, difficult, or suffering places, is we begin to just share our hearts with the Lord and write things down, write about your feelings. In some ways, I was trying to figure out why I was feeling what I was feeling. What did it mean to trust you, God? I would write down different verses, different phrases that really stood out to me. I tried to really be honest and sit with it and take a little bit of time, more longer thinking, right? And on top of that, I had a, a, a devotional. Um, some of you are familiar with the devotional. And sometimes I just periodically like to refer to it because I know not everyone necessarily even knows what that is. But when people who follow Jesus talk about having a devotional, what they mean is having some time with the Lord, but also usually reading through like a daily reading that has scripture. In, in my case, it, had a, it has some scripture to read, a passage or two, and then a story or anecdotes or a little commentary, usually oh, one day's entry. Oftentimes devotionals will have a, a prayer or an affirmation connected to it just to set the day in motion. If any of you want to know a little bit more about how to get one or how to even find them, they're not that difficult. You can get them now even online. You can ask any of our pastoral staff. Um, Pastor Paul's a great contact for that here at the Mission Campus as well. But again, oh, and, and if you have never had one, we have these, these three-month uh, little daily breads that we make available for anybody. and You can pick one up. Take it with you. They, in fact, when I first started following the Lord, I remember as a teenager, the, the, the first devotional I ever had was a little daily bread. And I would read it. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't that. I had gone to Sunday school, but I really didn't know a lot of the Bible. So I'd read the passage, and then I would read a little bit of the story, a little, little if they, um, you know, like a, an idea or two and a quote. And then I would have a prayer. And I would do that before I even went to school. I remember doing that. It was the first thing. So these daily breads are a real blessing. And you can, again, just pick one up if you want one. But I ended up doing it, but I did one more thing. I, and again, I would encourage you, some of us may be in a season. Here's another thing that is what I call part of that survival packet. 
I really tried to challenge the way I was thinking. And I worked on my thinking. Um, I know it sounds strange. Like, what do you mean worked on your thinking? Because a lot of times when we're in a, in a hole, when we're hurting, we can start to get ourselves into a, a cycle. And we start to create problems that aren't even there. And our worries enlarged, get enlarged. We start catastrophizing. We start walking down the road. We get really dominated by negativity. I could feel that coming on me. Like this was trying to define me. And I knew that wasn't God's will for me. And so one of the things I did, because I'm an overthinker, again, I'm just sharing with you my heart, is I said, Lord, I need you to give me a verse for this season of my life. I need you to help me have a piece of scripture that I can hang on to that can can sort of counteract the, the, the kind of, I'm going to call it garbage or junk or negativity that is trying to clog me up right now and make me afraid. And so in my case, I prayed and I looked at some different things in the scripture and I, I found a verse. Something, some of us may come across a verse and we might all of a sudden it just resonates deeply with us. I found mine was thir- Hebrews 13, 5, I call it 5b. It was the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But the key, that was a promise. So one, he's with me. And then two, so we may say with confidence, right? The Lord is, by the way, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. That's a quote from Psalm 113. So the the Psalms are embedded into the New Testament. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals, what can man do to me? And there was something about that passage that connected with me deeply. And you know what I ended up doing? For 21 days... Five times a day, I tried to hammer that verse into my mind. That seasonal verse became a potent word for me. And every time I would start to be, I would say, I will not be afraid, right? It was important. The Lord is my helper. So anyway, I did that, and it was tremendously life-giving. Also, um, just continuing with the little packet, I I tried to stay active and, and exercise regularly, consistently. And then on top of that, right, I did one more thing, and it's the reason why I'm tying it all together here, is I really engaged the Psalms. After I collected prayers, I engaged the Psalms. And for me, the idea of prayer collection had to do with just asking people to pray with me. I wasn't, didn't want to be proud. When you're hurting, don't be proud. Don't be proud ever, but you know, better, really when, you're, when we're hurting, it's like, we don't need to, we don't, we don't I, I would say, look, could you pray with me if I felt someone had a, had a gift for prayer. They might have been serving the Lord for not even a long time, maybe not even as long as I had. It didn't matter to me. If I trusted that relationship, I believed in their heart, and I thought that they had a real desire to, and love for God, I said, Lord, you know what? The Lord can use this prayer to be a strength to me, right? It could be someone older, Lord, someone younger. It was okay. And then I engaged the Psalms. The Psalms to me, and this brings us full circle, because the Psalms have so much real life in them. They, they, I remember, what I tried to do is for 50 days, I know, I number, I know that, for 50 days, I tried to read, I I, I made it a a goal of mine, somewhere around that time frame, I wanted to try to read one psalm a day. And I mean really let it settle into my heart. And I just wanted to go deep in there, I wanted to ponder it, pray on it, because I knew that this was the prayer book, this was the song book. This was the place where you work through pain and struggle. It's one of the amazing gifts to us, this book of Psalms. And I remember starting out with Psalm 1. It was a psalm that I had memorized or gotten close to when I was just a teenager starting to follow Jesus. And, and I remember I, I, I came to Psalm 1 and I thought, okay, this is, this is like a portal to this entire book. It starts out, right, saying you can make a choice in life 
to follow this way, we'll call it the blessed path, and this way, the foolish path. This way leads to a blessing and fruitfulness in life, and this way tends to lead to things that are disappointing and alienates us from God. That's how the psalmist opens up. So, and basically, it becomes the way of approaching all the psalms, God's way or the way that doesn't work. Psalm 1 goes, starts out by saying, blessed is the man, and that was the vernacular of their day. Blessed, we would say, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, those who scorn the things of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, in this word. And in that law, he meditates day and night. It becomes a part of who we are, this word. And you know what that person will be like, that psalm says? It op- again, the first psalm, be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also will not wither. Whatever it does, it's going to prosper in some way. The ungodly are not so, the psalmist says. They're like the chaff. The wind drives it away. The ungodly will not stand in the day of judgment. No sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Right? It just talks about that. You know, the way the righteous will, will live, but the way the, the, the ungodly will perish and, 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 and not last. Right? This was, this was the, the Psalm 1. Now, I read, so I reread Psalm 1. I sat with it, reread Psalm 2, wrote some things down around it. But I remember on the third day, I came to Psalm 3. This is the one in your handout. Read it with me, okay? Here we go. This is what it says. Da- no, and by the way, this is a psalm that David wrote at a really bad time in his life because he was, he, he was literally being chased down by his own son, whom he loved, who had led a coup against him, Absalom. One of the things we know about David is he had a blind spot as a father. And it hurt him. It hurt him. His son ended up really, if, if, it, if it wasn't for a few good men and friends of David, David would have been killed by his own son in a coup. He's running for his life at a time in his life when he should have been settled and at the apex of his sort of, you know, um, I don't want to say power, but it's kind of, what, his, he, he was at a place of, of his prime. He was at the prime of his life. And, and here he is running for his life like a scared animal being chased down by someone whom he loved deeply and who had turned on him and hurt him like no one else could. And part of him was going, why is this happening to me, God? Look what Psalm, that's the context of Psalm 3. Lord, he says, how many, and you can feel, and this is indicative of a lot of the Psalms. Lord, how many are my foes? Come on, how many rise up against me? And many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, look how, he, look how he moves back and forth, right, in this. But you, Lord, so he, he acknowledges the problem. He says, but you, Lord, he reestablishes who God is in his life. You, Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory. You're the one who lifts my head high. And I'll call out to the Lord. And he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and I sleep. I wake up again because the Lord, he sustains me. I will not fear, though, ten thousands of people assail me on every side. No, I tell you, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Now, why? Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. It's intense. It's passionate. But, oh, by the way, have you ever had a hard time sleeping because of anxiety? That's what David's taught. I lie down and I can sleep in the midst of this hellish nightmare in my life. 
I remember how at the time, because that's what connected with me, I was having a hard time sleeping. First time, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out. And I, knew, and, and I remember I was reading this psalm, and, I said, I, and David says, I will lie down and sleep. I said, oh, Lord, help me to sleep. I was in need of courage and faith because my enemies, though not literal, like David's, were literal. But my enemies also were there. They were circling me, taunting me, seeking to defy me, seeking to overwhelm me. They were my problems, my troubles, my bad ideas, and in some cases, a spiritual foe as well. On top of all that, I needed deliverance. I needed his blessing. I needed him to sustain me. Do you see how the Psalms can work so well for us? How, how that sustain me became my cry as well, how it can become our cry? Sustain me, God! Right? That's real. That's honest. It's powerful. One of the things the Psalms do, here it is, is they move us past our fears and our failures into faith and promise. Because I think you know and I know that our fears and our failures can overwhelm our confidence. And the Psalms remind us not to let our fears and troubles and anxious thoughts be the final word in our life. God's faithfulness is to be the final word. That's part of what the Psalms do. It, 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 it reminds us that the dominant word over our life is to be the faithfulness of God, not the trouble we're in. When, when we read the Psalms, especially maybe for the first time, or we're just starting to read them and we're going, wow, I mean, these things, they, we, some of us might be taken aback a little bit sometimes by how honest they are, because there are portions of them that just like cry out in frustration and in pain and anger over the unfairness of life. Some of them even start to question God's goodness. There's clearly prayers going out for these people who've hurt me, wounded me, worked against me, judged my enemy. You can hear it all in there. God, where are you? Where are you? Why are you forsaking me? It's all over it. It's like, God, I thought you promised you were gonna bless me. Why aren't you doing it? Why is this happening to me? Why are they turning on me? It's everywhere. And yet when you look at it, so what we're consistently reminded of is that in, sometimes in raw and vivid detail is the reality of bad situations. But the Psalms don't leave us in the ash heap. They always push us. They push us into hope. They push us into trusting God. So listen, they acknowledge real life, broken life, right? The broken and the, the ugly underbelly of it. Don't pretend it's not there but they don't leave us there. They hit us in both directions. That's what the Psalms do. They don't give us the luxury of denial, pretending, oh, this is good, when it's not. At the same time, they don't allow us to forget God's essential goodness and faithfulness. So it's this beautiful, honest thing going on in the Psalms. Real, you can't get away, don't pretend, is honest words. At the same time, Anchor it all in the goodness of God. Find a way. He will deliver you through this. It's powerful. When we let it work, it's powerful. Now, another thing the Psalms do is they remind us that worship, and this is connected, by the way, to the deliverance they bring. They remind us that, that worship and singing and, and praise are indispensable ingredients, aspects of the vibrant Christian life. It's been said that um, one of the reasons the Psalms were created by God was for the purpose of being sung back to him. So if you think of it this way, they were given to us by God, the Psalms, so that we could give them back to him. Given to us so we can give them back to him. And again, they remind us at the core that we were made to praise. Let me show you a couple examples. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? Let's, if you can, 
I want you to re- actually read this with me out loud, okay? Psalm 9. Psalm 9. We're just kind of, I'm going to pick a couple of psalms to show you what I'm talking about, about how they move us to praise. Let's read this together. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Look at Psalm 63. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now this next one, I'm just going to read it because it has a couple of uh, little areas where we can get off course. And uh, okay, if you want to join in, you can. But it, it, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare the steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of a, of a lyre. Uh, we don't use those words. Those are ancient instruments. But you know what? It's a reminder that worshiping God with instruments like a guitar, a keyboard, a stringed instrument, even a drum. These are things that connect us back to worship. Look what it says. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your works, and at the works of your hands I sing for joy. So it's clear that the Psalms invite us into, 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 into song, into worship and praise. And again, they were the songbook of Israel. They were the songbook of Jesus. And I really want, if I can say it this way, I would love for this Psalm series to also be for us a series where we stretch ourselves out as worshipers a little bit that we praise God a little bit more out of our comfort zone. You know, we try to honor the Lord and do all things decently and in order and trying to be sensitive that me doesn't stand out amongst the we and, and create a distraction. At the same time, the Bible is so clear that so many of the Psalms invite us into physical worship. Uh, I, I, you know, the New Testament even builds on that, reminding us that singing the Psalms and really just singing to the Lord, period, is an indispensable part of a vibrant Christian life and community. It's a me and we thing. Look what it says. This is not just Old Testament. Look what it says in Ephesians 5. Check this out. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's a way of saying foolish and ruinous living that will mess us up. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalm. There it is. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Look at that. May the Lord fill our heart with song. Then look at Colossians 3. 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And there it is again, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So just letting that verse linger, singing to the Lord with psalms or phrases of psalms, which is what we do in our worship time, is actually something that is deeply embedded in in the scripture itself. In fact, if you look at it, it's, it's a big deal. For one, it's not just an invitation, it's a command for anyone who's serious about following Jesus. And anyone who is serious about the Christ life will take note of it. Additionally, see this verse? Singing to the Lord in worship and praise. Hear me out. It's not just a nice warm-up for the message. Which means you've got to kind of be on time to church. You know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course you all are. No, I'm saying is that a lot of times we forget that the worship itself is a way of driving things deep into our heart. And if we engage things sincerely, as the Psalms invite us to do, there is a powerful dynamic that is released in our life. In my opinion, some of the most powerful dynamic 
of worship is released when we're feeling most broken. And out of the, we call it the sacrifice of praise. Out of the broken place, when the praise goes up, a lot of times what happens is God just, like, he just moves in you in an amazing way. The Psalms talk about things that are physical. We just read them. You saw it. Things like kneeling before the Lord, things like lifting up our hands to the Lord, clapping to the Lord in, in joy or saying in agreement or in excitement or in applause or saying, Lord, I've surrendered to you. These are very physical. Shouting out to the Lord in a joyful song. I mean, these are very biblical kind of ways of expressing our heart to God. And what I'm going to say is, you know what? The more we can do that, I think the, the better it is in, in many ways. Just open up our heart to new things that God wants to do. Since we get locked down, we say, well, you know, someone said to me, well, why does God even need to be praised? What's all this praise thing going on? Does God, like, you know, need his ego propped up? And I said, No. No, I assure you, God is far more secure than you'll ever know. <laughs> he doesn't need our affirmation or our praise. His ego doesn't have to be buttressed up, supported, because if without it, he'll fall apart, <laughs> right? That's not so. I said, the truth is, he allows himself to be worshipped by us. I said, and here's the thing. Worship is an expression of giving someone worth. When I, when I worship God, I'm acknowledging who he is. J Jesus said, look... Whether or not we acknowledge God, he is who he is. And Jesus said one, one time to his critics, they said, why don't you tell your people to be quiet because they're praising you in ways they shouldn't. Jesus said, if they don't praise me, I tell you, the very rocks, nature itself will break forth in praise. Nature praises God. Creation praises God. The Psalms, you read the Psalms, everywhere is nature. The creation of God, the artistry of God, praising God. But we are invited into that as the jewel of God's creation to praise him not out of force, but out of invitation. And here's the thing, what we worship, we've talked about this a lot. We, you know why worship is so important? Because we become like the things we worship. So what I worship, I become like. So if I worship him in the ways that I'm invited to do so through the Psalms, I become more like him. It works something, well, if I do it honest, honest. I, I actually think that singing honest with intention is more important than the quality of the sound. <laughs> and if we have to choose, give me the one that's honest and sincere with love broken and true over the one that's on pitch perfectly and disconnected. Jesus says, don't call me Lord, Lord, and then your heart is away from me. I want to, but praise is a way of giving our heart to him. When we talk to someone and we tell them, I love you, it could be habit, that's true. But over time, it reinforces that in us, right? It's the same way that when we demean people, it reinforces that. They become what we say they are to us. So it is with praise. When I praise him, it's not because he has to have it. I think he delights in it, but that's not the point. I have the privilege of praising him, and the power and presence of the Lord can work through my life in a very different way. You see that? Which is why, and I'll leave it with this, which is why God wants to, to really honestly, this is what I believe heading into this, these coming weeks. I really think that as we engage the Psalms, if we truly choose to do so, that what we're going to find is he's going to put a new song in us. The Psalms invite us to explore the songs of the Lord for our life and for the season of our life that we're in. And I'm convinced that as we read through these psalms, as we interact with them, if we do it with intention 
and humility and sincerity and with some degree of passion, that the natural result will be is that God will fill us with a new song in our life. And one of the questions I have is, what is the new song the Lord wants to sing through us? What is the new song he's calling us to? I'm, he has something he, new he wants to sing. And what does he want to sing through us to others? What, you'll notice in the handout there, there's Psalm 40. I love, we're going to close it with this psalm. Look what David says. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. I love this psalm. This is so good. He brought me out of a, out of a horrible pit. You ever been in trouble? David was in dark trouble. He was stuck out of the miry clay. That's what that means. My feet were locked up in thick mud. I couldn't get out of the hole. He set my feet on a rock. He has put, there it is. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. Praise to our God, and many will see it. Many will see it, and they will fear. They will honor the Lord. They will, they will revere him for who he is, and, I will, and they will trust in the Lord. God wants to put a new song in us. He has a song for us to sing. Lord Jesus, help us to find the song that we're supposed to sing in this season of our life, and let's sing it. Now, in your handout, you'll see we put these little cards with a little hole in them. There's a reason. What we're going to do something a little bit different in the coming weeks, next week, actually, we're going to have a board. We're going to call it a psalm board. It's, um, it's, we were encouraging everyone to write a song or a poem or your own kind of a psalm prayer to the Lord. You can put your name or you don't have to. Doesn't, that's not the point. Something small, but something that's, that reflects your heart. And when you come, we, we have, we're going to have a board. And it's going to have a little hook. You just hook them on. And it becomes our song as a church, individually, but together. And I just loved the idea when we, when we were talking about it. And I think it's an amazing way for us to interact. So just be aware of that. Inter engage it. Hey, let's pray together, and then we'll close. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for, I, I thank you for the focus and the attentiveness of those who've just been here together. And we've been able to share this word and share this time. And I ask that what would come out of it would be a strength and an encouragement for us in the days ahead. In these summer months, Lord, I pray that there would actually come, even as we're coming in and out of, of travels and such, that there would come an amazing, in an amazing way, new songs into our lives. That as we sincerely engage your words, especially this amazing book that has affected people who love you for generations, may it also be something that affects us as well. And we have new songs flowing in and out of our lives, but a new song of praise. We thank you, God. We look forward to what's happening in the coming days and, and weeks and months. May you be honored in our lives and move in fresh new ways. This is what we pray. Bless our closing time of giving and bless this song that we're ending with, which is Psalm 40. And I ask that we would just be attentive to this song as well and share it together. In Jesus' name, amen.